In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. To those who are in the arena... We salute you. Guys, we honor you for getting it done in the stress bubble of life. We are in this arena together. Males retreat into the anonymous crowd, but you have jumped into the fray. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Guys, I'm just so pumped to have you guys here today. Our goal today is to help you become the best version of you. We want to call you into the arena. We want to call you out of everything hindering you from becoming your best version. And we want to call you up to higher levels of manhood. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the Mixed Master PhD of Sound. Dr. Pat George. Hey, How you doing, I like man? that. I like that. That's good. Yeah. yeah I, 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 that's really good, man. I might rap that. I might yeah. do a little Sugar Hill Gang on you. I yeah. said a hip, a hop, a hip, a hip to the there hip, hip hop, and you don't stop the... Anyway, whatever. Yeah, so. that's beautiful. Anyway. <laughs> is there, oh, man. We just digressed. No. No, there's not a no, birthday this birthday week. Uh, we recorded... Yeah. A couple weeks ago. Oh, that's right. Anyway, so... Hey, and I'm here with my producer and co-host, Whitey... Dale Culver. Yeah. Whitey. Yeah, that's right. Whitey. Wetto. That's my new nickname for you. I, I didn't know now I didn't know that you were called Whitey in high school. So yeah, yeah well. So. There's a lot of things you don't know about me in high school. Well, I'm I'm glad because that, <laughs> that mullet was all I want to know. Dude. Holy cow. Okay. You need to stop talking about that mullet. My okay. mullet rocked. That was bad. And because I stocked up on the it hair. It wasn't then, even a mullet. It was it Joe Dirt. It, it was, was a Joe Dirt mullet. Dude, yeah. it was not it Joe was, Dirt. Was, Take okay. those photos down. Hey, if you grew up in New York, they would have cut that off and put hung it on their yo, 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 their they antennas of their cars. Damn, no, man. <laughs> yo. Oh man. Hey, I am I am pumped today. We got a great guest. Super super excited about this guy. But before we get into this, Dale. The man word. Do you have a man word I do. for me today? You're going to guess. I got to. You know, I got to tell you, our, I got to tell you before you jump into this, our man in the arena, face closed Facebook page is killing it. 
Killing it. It's I'm so excited. I want to see thirty thousand guys in this. Is that a country next song? Years. Just killing it. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with the men in the arena, so oh. stop it. Okay. <laughs> hey, so give me so man word. You get let me You're guess. You're supposed to guess. Based on our guest today. Mm. In fact in fact, his life word I read is the word I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose the word positivity. Wow. Was I close? No. No? We're Come on. Are you kidding me? No, I got coach right with Joe Smith. Okay. Yeah. I think I did that just to be nice. But anyways. You didn't choose positivity? No. I, Attitude. Actually, I chose greatness. What? I know. I do this he, to you every time. Oh, he does write about greatness. But I, okay. Well, as a man, we should strive for greatness. Um, okay. Anything you do, you should strive for greatness. You don't just strive for just to get her done, but to do it well. And do it great, and so you know when you when your your kids you you don't have dreams for your kids to grow up and like, oh man, I hope my kid is the best cash register attendant at McDonald's. I mean, you know, parents aren't saying that. You know, you want them to do what makes yeah. them happy, but you really have dreams and goals for them that are great, and so you yeah. try to set out like that for that. So we should be thinking with that in mind. No, I like that. And I think every guy is wired for greatness. I think that we're wired for greatness. And I would define greatness as becoming the best version of who we've been exactly. designed to be. And so, you know, what's really cool. Our guest today, I feel like, uh, well, I don't feel, I know, uh, his resume is great. And what I realize is everything about what I'm going to read to you has happened in 10 years, which is mind boggling. So we have uh, today our guest, uh, John Gordon. So welcome, John, to our show. Great to be with you. Man, we're excited to hear from you, man. John is, listen to this, in 10 years, 10 years, John has published 17 books. In 10 years. Wow. That's mind-boggling. He's an international speaker, big in Korea. (laughs) So you you can share that a little bit later. Uh, John is 46-year-old. He's an author and speaker internationally. He's been doing this for 10 years. Uh, you can go to johngordon.com to check this guy out. I've read uh, two of his books. I'm looking forward to reading The Carpenter and uh, several others. He's got great catchy titles and some uh, great book cover designs. Anyway, his mission in life is positive leadership. He lives in Florida with his uh, beautiful wife, Catherine. They've been married 17 years, has a daughter 19 years old, and a son 17. So, John, how are you doing, man? Good, good. Well, we've been married twenty years. Oh. Well, that okay. So I the email I have said seventeen, and I thought, well, I got to ask the question about why you, the nineteen-year-old daughter. So you just took one of my questions away. <laughs> that, that's actually a, a, a typo error from my assistant, probably. Oh. Years, daughter, nineteen. Okay. I feel a little <laughs> bit better about your positivity. <laughs> but again, you know, even if it was it happened earlier, that sometimes it happens, right in life. Oh yeah, that is a true statement. So man, okay, well that man, that I was kind of going, man, this doesn't sound okay. Well, okay, that's all right, that's all right. I told you to the stop last judging. ten years were great, huh? I told you to stop judging him. <laughs> judge him. Oh man, hey John, we're gonna throw you into the fray. We're gonna start off uh, this podcast getting you loosened up a little bit, just kind of getting just getting to know you. Let our listeners get to know you. We're gonna start with what we call our rapid fire round. So are you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Now, what I did, John, is I, I we're going to do uh, all the rounds are different. But for you, just for you, I selected the this or that round. Now, what I've done is I have uh, watched YouTube videos of you. I've read books of yours. 
I've just generally stalked you everywhere I could to kind of find out a little bit what makes you tick a little bit. So I've chosen words for you to choose between that I think you'll relate to, okay? Okay. Okay, here's the first one. This or that. Root or fruit? You can either invest in the fruit of the tree or the root of the tree. You focus on the fruit, ignore the root, the tree dies. You invest in that root. You make it your number one priority. You have a great supply of fruit. That root is your spirit, your purpose, your relationship with God, your love for what you do, your people, your culture. That's the root. We're high fiving. Killed it. I, I love that in your book, man, because you because everybody else we sent we don't want to focus on the fruit, right? Because we can see it. It's there. It's easy. It's ripe. It tastes good right now, but the root is where you get the nurture. That's so good, man. I really appreciate that. Now, this one I know I already know the answer to, but I want our people to go and uh, check out your first book called The Energy Bus. So I want you to choose, and I want you to explain: Energy Bus or Energy Vampire. So energy bus is about getting on the bus with positive energy, leading with passion and purpose and optimism and belief and, and hope. And then energy vampire is where you, someone who sucks the life right out of you, your dream, your team, your, your, um, your organization. We're with a lot of sports teams. A lot of sports teams love this because coaches say, hey, we're not going to be energy vampires. We're going to be energy givers, energy fountains. We're not going to be energy drains. And so we're going to build a team of, of, of positivity. And by the way, oh, my name is John, J-O-N Gordon. A lot of people go, go J-O-H-M, but it's J-O-N just so people know. Oh, yeah, great. I've, yeah, I'm sorry because I, I have it down as J-O-N, but I forgot that. So JohnGordon.com, J-O-N. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been using this phrase for years like this person just sucks the life out of me. Yep. So when I saw the phrase energy vampire, I resonated with that. It just because I've used that phrase and it's like, you know, you're going into a situation where you better be guarded because uh, they're going to sink the fangs in, baby. Oh, yeah. Big time. I think that's a, a term in the Bible, actually. Energy vampire. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got to read that somewhere. Anyway, hey, so here, here's the here's the next one. This or that culture or strategy? Culture, culture. Beats strategy. I, I, when I read that in your book, I was really intrigued by that because there's so much, you spend so much time talking about vision and strategy in your book that when I, uh, the book I'm talking about, John, is The Power of Positive Leadership. And so when I read about that, that really answered a lot of questions for me because you can be a great visionary leader, but if you don't have the leadership to create a vision, a visionary culture, you're you're defeating yourself. Is that what you're? Is that what you mean by that? Yes. I mean you have to have the right strategy, but it is your culture that will determine whether your strategy is successful. So culture drives your strategy. It makes it successful. It makes you focus on what matters most. It's the values. It's the beliefs. It's the expectations. The behaviors and habits of your organization. It's your essence of of who you are. Why you do what you do. What you do and the way you do it. So culture is very unique and. We spend too much time focusing on the numbers, the outcomes. We talked about the fruit. We spend too much time focusing on strategy, whereas we don't invest enough in culture. No, I really resonated with that because I have a default of becoming critical. In fact, I just had to apologize to uh, Pat this morning. And so my default when the tensions get high and the stress level goes up is to to, uh, go into this negativity 
And so when I create a negative culture, and I just read a quote, a Spanish proverb that said, uh, if three people call you an ass, put on a bridle. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, trying to build a positive culture. So I really resonated with that. Now, here's one, and uh, you you took this uh, from... It might have been Josh McDowell, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. Rules, uh, here it is, this or that, rules or relationship? Oh, it's actually Andy Stanley who said it best. He said, That's right. Uh, yeah. He says, uh, you know, if you have rules without relationship, that will lead to rebellion. So, rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. So, I call it love tough instead of tough love. You know, tough yeah. love works, but, but love must come first. If your team knows you love them, you know, allow you to challenge and, and push them. That was really good. Yeah, Josh McDowell wrote a book called Raising Kids That Turn Out Right, and he talks about precepts over person so that you need to have the person or the relationship. He was going with a whole P's thing, and so right. that's where I got that, so I apologize. So uh, here we go. This one, now one of these is in your book, one of these is not, but I thought it was really interesting. It really uh, helped me to work through something I've been processing in a personal way. Law of Attraction or law of association. Mm. And I, I did not read about association in your book, but it's implied all throughout the book. Right. Well, law of attraction briefly in the energy bus is really more about, you know, the positive mindset, the beliefs that you have and, and, and what you believe you receive and, and what you put out there, you attract to you. It's about being more about who you are more important than, than what you do. And so your character and the love you lead with, what drives you, your purpose, that really creates who you are. You know, I'm not a big fan fully of, of like like a lot of the law of attraction in terms that says, you know, I think about getting that Ferrari, I'm going to get that Ferrari. But Jesus talks about all things are possible to those who believe. He talks about even greater things than I shall you do. And he talks about that, you know, we really weren't meant to be average. We really were meant to do great things, to pursue greatness. We were made in the likeness and image of God. So we were imagined, you know, to imagine. We were created to create. And so I really believe that we can create our futures. We have the ability to do that by envisioning what it is that God wants for us. And then we can go out and create it. We can really go out and, and have the ability, the power to create. So don't think you're a victim. Don't believe that you are stuck in life circumstances. You have been given you've been given a power greater than your circumstance in order to create the future. That's so good, John. I, I appreciate your freedom and talking about uh, the, your heart behind this stuff. You know where that resonated, resonated with me was I struggle with uh, I struggle with my eating, man. I mean, I like to eat. I work out all the time, but I like to eat. And what 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 I took away from the law of attraction, which I'd never heard that phrase before in a book on leadership, it really impacted me. What I took away was this. If I focus on not losing the law of attraction, I'm going to get what I focus on. If I focus on not losing, what am I going to be? I'm going to lose. If I focus on winning, I'm going to win. And so I grew up, we had a losing program where I went to high school, and we tend to focus on trying not to lose. Well, we'd get close to winning and go, well, we better not lose, better not lose. And you've seen this because you do a lot of, you coach a lot of coaches. And, you know, what I always laugh about coaches, they get to a point in a game where they're, they're beating a team and they go into a prevent defense. And I, I've always been intrigued by that. I'm like, why do you want to go into a prevent? Because you're preventing yourself from winning. Why don't you stick with what got you there? And so for me, uh, and as far as my body is concerned, if I focus on 
the fit body, instead of focusing on not eating food, this is the law of attraction. Perfect. I love so, it. Yeah. Uh, well, focus. Just making I sure. Focus, I focus sometimes too much on cake and then I just receive more cake. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just call it communion. Wash it down with some milk. Wash it down with some milk. There you go. <laughs> hey, here's one for you. About three months ago, this is before I finished your positive leadership book. Three months ago, I and I've been doing this for several years, but three months ago I decided my one word for this year is going to be the word simplicity. So I sent a text out to my family, and at Christmas time we're going to go and share our word, and we're going to uh, do that type of thing. It's just another way to kind of lead my life and lead my family. But uh, you, I, I love when you talk about legacy uh, in your books and your writings. And so here's my this or that for you: one word epitaph or one page eulogy. Hmm. One word epitaph. Positive. Yeah. For me, for me, it's my purpose. It's my calling. I know it's why I'm I'm here. You know, the other part would be for me is, is you know the epitaph is just that the way I live my life is that people will meet my children years after I'm gone, mm. and my and they'll tell my children that I made a difference in their lives, that they heard me speak, they read one of my books, and it impacted their lives. And so that's the way I live, that I want to create memories. I want to meet people. I want to impact people while I'm here on earth. And that they will then meet my children and tell them how I impacted them. So for me, that's how I live with the end in mind. And the one word that drives that, we call it a life word. I wrote a book called Life Word with my good friends, Dan and Jimmy, uh, two guys who work in ministry for the FCA, incredible guys. And so my life word is that one word of, of positive. Each year we pick a word for the year. Right, that word drives you. That word is a word that gives you meaning and mission, passion and purpose for that year. So your life word is basically the title of your life and the one word each year is the chapter that you write each year as you pick this word to mold you and shape you and to focus on in the course of that year. Man, that's so good. Hey, are you willing to share your uh, one word for 18? Well, I don't have it yet for 18. For 17, it was still, you know, be still. I saw a great quote from uh, Bob Goff on his, hmm. on his uh, Instagram page. And when I saw it around this time last year, it hit me that that's going to be my word. It was forgive the year before that, rise the year before that, serve the year before that, pray, surrender, purpose. It's, it's amazing how you remember your words each year. Now, Dan and Jimmy and I wrote one word that will change your life. They've been doing this for 20 years now. So they are the guys who invented it. I don't want to take credit for it. They created the one word concept over 20 years ago. And they've been doing it every year. And so they told me about six years ago this idea, and we started doing it together. That is so awesome. Okay, I, I've got to say this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You've been, you've given so much to me through your books. So I'm gonna say this to you. So Psalm 46:10 says, "Be still and know that I am God." So if you remove that one step, you can pray this way: "Be still and know that I am." You remove mm. that one step, and you get "Be still and know." You remove that one step, and you get "Be still." You remove that one step and you get B. So it's a great a great little outline for prayer. I love that. So still. So my word is simplicity. Yours is still. That's awesome, man. That, I, well, you know what's really interesting, John? I, I asked you epitaph or eulogy because of this. You know, as a, a pastor guy, I've attended many, many, many funerals. And about five years ago, I, I began to realize that when you go to any funeral, so now you're talking about people who have died. I've been to funerals of five-year-olds. I've been to funerals of 105-year-olds. At any funeral, there seems to be one prevailing theme 
or word that represents their life. It's real, I, and I discovered that, and I thought, really, what's what is my life going to represent? So, when you uh, said this one word, this life word, that really resonated with me. So, thank you very much. And the funny thing is, my word of positive is something that I'm not naturally positive. You know, I'm not naturally positive. Grew up in Long Island, New York, Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt. Italians. Yeah, a lot of wine, a lot of whining. And my dad was a New York City, <laughs> New York City police officer. Talk about a man, New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. Huh. He was shot a few times. My dad was not too big on positive energy. You get up in the morning and say, hey, good morning, dad. He'd say, what's so good about it? And so <laughs> my dad was Al Bundy before Al Bundy was Al Bundy. <laughs> a hand in the shorts and, so, and everything. <laughs> and so growing up, you know, in that in that Italian family, Jewish family, you know, there wasn't a lot of positivity. And yet this becomes my life calling and my work, which I just find so ironic and interesting. Well, what's funny is that between Jewish, Greeks, and Italians, I don't know who are the loudest, but when you're Jewish and Italian, it's a no-win situation. <laughs> or who eats the most? I didn't realize the whining came from my Italian side, though, so thank you. You've revealed some things I didn't know about myself before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, John, we are, we are so pumped to have you on our show today. It's been a long time coming as far as getting scheduling going. Man, I really appreciate you. And I just want to take – you know, you've mentioned in your books – that you are, that you are, you and you just said it again. That you haven't always been a positive guy. Well, can you just go back and just tell us your story, just of your life and the things you're passionate about, and just an overall kind of a thirty thousand foot above sky, uh, land view of your life? Yeah. So early twenties, you know, graduated college, played lacrosse in college, Cornell University. Go to Atlanta after college. Just said I'm going to go there, create a life for myself, bartending, waiting tables. At 24, I meet my wife. I wound up opening a restaurant bar in Buckhead. At 24, actually three weeks before I met my wife, uh, got involved in a nonprofit, uh, raised money for youth-focused charities, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, then years later, got involved in the dot-com, during the dot-com rise, during the dot-com boom. Lost my job around 30 years old. Scary time, fearful time. My wife and I were fighting all the time. I was miserable and negative, and you know she had had enough of my negativity. And so I begged her to stay. I I agreed to change. It was a really defining moment in my life, and wow. that began this journey of trying to be more positive. I wasn't a person of of faith, you know. Again, I don't talk about my faith all the time. I work with a lot of companies and organizations. I don't get a chance to to share it, but you know I live it every day and I breathe it. But wasn't a, a person of faith. And then again, through my own struggles and wanting to be happier and more positive after doing the whole meditation thing and the Buddhist thing and the new ager thing and seeking and researching and reading uh, a friend of mine gave me some sermons from Erwin McManus. Yeah. I, I listened to these sermons from Erwin and uh, he just wrote a book called the last arrow, by the way. And uh -huh. those sermons just had a huge impact on me and my life. And then um, began that journey of faith around 2006, same time I wrote The Energy Bus. Oh, wow. Yeah, around the same exact time. And so I wrote The Energy Bus in 2006, wrote the book in three and a half weeks. I was walking one day and hmm. praying, and the idea for the book just came to me. Wrote this book, rejected by over 30 publishers. Finally, a, a publisher agrees to take it on. So now it's coming out. I was so excited. Wiley, Wiley, Wiley Publishers. John John yeah. Wiley and Sons. Yeah. You know they produce 
you know, the dummy series and a lot of books, you know, so they produce me since they do the dummy series. And, um, so they, they, uh, they were, they were, you know, just, they were great. They believed in it, but you know, no one knew if it was going to be a success or not, but thankfully they agreed to take it on. So now the book's coming out. I remember I was so excited. It was coming out. Asked a friend, what should I do? He said, pray. So I prayed for it to be a bestseller. It came out. It was a bestseller in Korea. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I became big in Korea, just so you know. Uh, South Korea, of course. I was going to say North Korea. Sweet. <laughs> South Korea. Like, we're the talking, energy nuke. Like, we're talking huge hit in South Korea. Like oh, really big hit. So I'm at a conference and I have a line out the door because it's in the West Coast of people from South Korea that are at this international conference. Not one American is in line to get a book signed, but all these people from South Korea. <laughs> and a, a woman came up to me, she said, you very famous in, in Korea. And so it was like a top five bestseller in South Korea, but not one bookstore in the United States would carry this book. So imagine I read this book, it's my first book, and you know, I'm so excited and it comes out and now it's not carried in any bookstore. and but it's this huge hit in South Korea. My publishers call me the David Hasselhoff of, of Korea. Yeah. <laughs> Messing with me. And at that time, again, didn't know what the future held, but I decided to go on a 28 city book tour, went around the country, just sharing the message in the book all over the country. You know, five people, in one city, 10 people, another 20 people, another. And again, slowly and gradually, I look back on that. That was 2007. That started to get the book out there. Then bookstores did start carrying it. Coaches somehow started reading it. And it, it really started to give me a, a platform of organizations and businesses, you know, reading this book. So from a book that was rejected by all these publishers to now probably sold over 1.5 million copies, uh, you know, worldwide now, or just reached a million domestically in the U.S. So, so we're now big in the United States in addition to uh, Korea. So... Did you just when you say you traveled around the country? Now I just want to say to our listeners, uh, especially I think it was in Ohio. This is not Jeff Gordon we're talking about. <laughs> this is John Gordon. So so it was, John, it was, it was Des Moines, Iowa. Very Iowa. There you go. A hundred people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. <laughs> That's awesome. And I still get that to this day. I mean, it's hilarious. People come to, come up to me. I. I had the mom of a of a coach say, "Are you are you the race car driver?" And then that's that's another guy. Oh, that's so, funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, went all over the place sharing the message. Anyone who would listen, I had a good friend Daniel Decker, and Daniel would be calling up all of all of the uh, radio stations, local TV shows, just saying that I was coming by, and and I was really driven by my mission to inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time. I didn't know. That I was going to write all these other books. I just knew I wanted to share that book and that message and get out there. And it was really a, a bigger purpose. I mean, I really was driven. I knew I was here to make a difference. I found my calling. You know, I was fired up and, and ready to go and just get out there and, and do it. Like, yeah, I didn't always feel that way. And my life often felt like uh, it was it was a failure. You know, I, I never really felt like I was doing what I was meant to do. And that's why I think I was so miserable and so unhappy. So when Get, I get my wife to, to stay. I start changing on the inside. God changes me, starts molding me and shaping me. And then I write this book. And now I finally feel like, okay, I'm doing what I'm here to do. And it's been like that every, ever since, you know, the energy bus came out over the past 10 years now. And I'm just doing what I'm here to do. I mean, to write 17 books in 10 years is unheard of. I mean, it takes 
I just read a book by Don Miller called Scary Close, and it took him eight months to read that book, and four months is the fastest he's ever written a book, I think he said. I'm finishing a book that's taken me about a year. So you said that you were under divine inspiration, and that's that sounds amazing. Did you? But there's something else working on here. You went on a book tour across the country. Did you just call uh, bookstores and say, hey, I'm coming, or how did you set that up? Yeah, that's what we would do. We, you know, Daniel Decker was calling the radio shows and, and local TV shows, local libraries, bookstores, and just say, hey, um, John Gordon's coming. He's internationally known. And uh, <laughs> True statement. True statement. We weren't lying. It was true. And I had one friend in London as well. So that got people to be at least open to, to having me do a signing or an event. Sometimes it was a coffee shop. Like I said, only five or ten people you know, showed up at, at some of these places. So, it, but it's been a, a great journey. And I really, um, you know, again, looking back, maybe it wasn't as much fun at the time, but that was an exciting time as you were going after. I was like the rock band, the rock band who was just going to play all the small yeah. dive bars and gradually gained the following. I love that. Well, I'm looking at your book titles here. The uh, Here are some of the books you've written. The No Complaining Rule. The Shark and the Goldfish, love that title. Training Camp, Soup, The Seed, The Positive Dog, Hard Hat, and then you win in the locker room first. But one of the books I want to ask you about is The Carpenter. Is that was that book? Uh, I have not read that book, and if if you think it's the third, should be the third on my reading list for John Gordon, I'll buy it. Do you is that book a book that was birthed out of your uh, faith journey? What's the purpose? Yeah, is the I mean, Carpenter? Talk me through that book. Yeah, I, I love The Carpenter. Actually, people say it's my, my best book. Whoa. And it, you know, it was the best, one of the best business books of 2014, I believe, by Inc. Magazine and Time Magazine. And it, it's about a guy who's building his business with his wife, uh, collapses on a run one day, and a carpenter saves him, a mysterious carpenter, and leaves his card with him. While he's in a hospital, he has this card that says carpenter on it and a phone number. And he's like, this guy needs some more marketing or better marketing that he would just do it that way for his business. Well, he winds up calling it. They wind up meeting. And this carpenter starts to build an entertainment, an entertainment center in his home while he's recovering. And he starts to share his principles for building a great business. And so these are the greatest success principles of all. And I started to think about, you know, what makes someone a success? And it started with caring. So at first, the book was just going to be about caring, that if you just care more, if you care more, that is a huge differentiator because so many people don't seem to care today. So just by caring, you're going to stand out in a world where many don't care. So it's caring that makes us great. We'll put more time, more energy, more effort into it. Are you a carpenter or a craftsman? And what the carpenter says in the book is, don't just be a carpenter. A carpenter shows up to build something, but a craftsman or a craftswoman they're there to create a work of art, to put their heart, their soul, their spirit, their passion into what they're building, and that's what makes it great. So mm -hmm. it started with caring, but then it moved into what really makes a great leader, what is responsible for all success, and I realized it was three words, love, serve, and care. Love, serve, and care. And as a person of faith and someone who, who follows Jesus, I looked at him as the ultimate leader and said, okay, let me write this book, but measure it against his truth and the way he led. I do that with all my books. I say, okay, is this truth and measured against Jesus? And because again, he's the ultimate leader. And no matter what religion someone is, 
I think everyone loves Jesus when they look at the kind of person he was, how he led, yeah. and the impact he had. I mean, come on. There's been a lot of thought leaders in the world, but there's only one that separates time based on his birth. Okay, I would consider that very influential. And Absolutely. What did he do? He loved, he served, and he cared. Loved, served, cared. You can really break it down as three things. All right, I appreciate that. Sacrifice is part of love, but so <clears throat> sacrifice yeah. love, love, served, and cared. And so from those three words, really, if we lead that way, if we serve that way, if we sell that way, if we do ministry that way, if we run a hospital that way, we're going to make an impact. And it's cool. I now have businesses doing it. I have hospitals that have incorporated this into their hospital, the love, serve, care model. Clemson football has incorporated this model, love, serve, care, into the way they coach and lead their program. It is so powerful. That, that is super exciting. I, I love that. You know, I love – well, you know what? We're going to take a little break here. We got, we're at 30 minutes already. I can't believe it. We're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll come right back. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We aren't in this to make money, guys, but we are passionate about making a difference. The war is epic. Every battle matters, and every man in the arena matters. Join our fight to change the world with every man who gets in the arena, picks up his sword, and starts to fight. Do this by joining our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum with men from literally around the world. If this podcast has helped you get out of the bleachers and into the arena, then go to our website under gear. Pick up the field guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick it up today. This year will be our first ever man card men's weekend with the men in the arena. If you're interested in hosting a man card weekend in your city, contact us for available dates. Also, guys. Thank you again for jumping into the arena and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world one man at a time. Okay, John, this is interesting. You said that Jesus was the ultimate leader, and I would agree with you 100%. I would also say he's the ultimate man. Do you think that we portray him accurately as the ultimate man in in the churches, say, in our culture? How can we portray Jesus better to the world? Yeah, well, I've learned a lot about, like, from John Eldridge on this and, and Erwin McManus on this, who wrote The Barbarian Way, right? We, Great we book. Look at, yeah, we, we look at, you know, at Jesus as just a nice guy and just someone who was sharing wisdom, like the wise old sage. But they don't realize that, you know, Jesus was the ultimate man. He, he, he had righteous anger. He was upset. He took on the hypocrites. But he was the ultimate model of love tough. You know, instead of tough love, like he loved, <laughs> he would challenge you. Here's the thing in the power of positive leadership. I wrote about love and accountability as the keys to great leadership. If I had to pick two words, those are the keys. Love, accountability. I'm going to love you, but I'm going to hold you accountable to the culture, to the values, to the principles. Well, Jesus, in the same vein, grace and truth, right? I'm oh. going to give you grace, but I'm going to speak truth to you. Grace, but truth. And that's why when he shared something with someone, they didn't run away. They didn't get upset because they felt his love, but they also heard his truth and knew how they had to act from there. So if you're a leader, that's how you have to lead. Grace and truth, love and accountability. If you come in with too much accountability and not enough love, then you're going to grind someone. You're going to be seen as a jerk. There's going to be that rule, but no relationship. Yeah. And if you have too much love, not, account- not accountability... Well, then, hey, we're a great family, but I feel like I can take advantage of you. 
and I'm not going to really do what needs to be done. And I'm not going to really give my best effort. So there needs to be both. That is so good. I love the grace and truth. You know, one of the things I realize about Jesus is with the humble, with the broken, with the contrite, he extended love, love and grace or grace with the proud and arrogant and probably energy vampires. He extended the law. He, that's why the, the leaders didn't like him because they were proud and arrogant. He he hit them with their own law. And I, I think there is a balance of the leader, right, between how you handle those who are on your bus and how you handle those energy vampires who are trying to pull people off your bus. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I love that. I just I never really thought of it that way about how we dealt with the broken and, and those who were really in need. And you're right. I mean, that's beautiful what you just shared. I, I couldn't agree more. And again, going back to you know being a real man and, and going back to you know what Jesus was like, I mean, there is just so much love there. So a man extends that love and lives from that love, but they also live from their manliness and their strength of, of who they are as a man. So you want to go out and, and do fearless things. You want to go hunt new opportunities. You want to be bold. You want to go after it. Well, that's what we're called to do. We're not meant to play it safe. You know, the, 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 the life of a, of a, a real man, I believe is someone who is willing to push the edges to do what must be done to accomplish what must be accomplished trying to live a, a secure, comfortable, safe life. That's not really how we're meant to live. It's not, it, it's not meant to be live. You're not meant to live a life of fear. You're meant to live a life of faith and step into that faith. We often have a vision for the future and it's often a vision that makes us feel inadequate. I mean, I know I feel inadequate a lot from the vision that I'm, I'm given, but I believe that's so we'll find faith on the journey because we have to step beyond our comfort zone. Mark Batterson writes a lot about this, how, how you have to have you know, big dreams. If it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. I have to say, if your vision doesn't include you helping people on your journey, then you need to come up with another vision. Yeah, Maxwell said, if your dream can be accomplished by only you, you need to get another dream. That's good. <laughs> I love Batterson's yeah. Circle Maker. That's a great book by Batterson. Yeah, I love the Circle Maker. That was a real powerful book. I spoke to Mark's... Uh, leadership team at his church uh, about six, seven months ago, really enjoyed being with his team and just uh, sharing with them and learning from them. And he's the best. He's in DC, right? In a movie theater? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, here, so here's something that's interesting. So you made a comment in your book that people, men, I think it was, I think you said this, that men follow the man before the vision. Was that, that was you men follow, they follow the, the, yeah, they follow the leader first and the vision second. And so, you can have the greatest vision in the world. You can have the greatest mission statement. But if you're not someone they want to follow, then you're doing it all wrong. It, it first has to be about who you are. So before you can say, follow me, you have to be someone they want to follow. So this is this is really good because confession time. I had never heard your name before six months ago. I did not know who you were. So I instantly went and when I heard about who you were, I bought the how'd energy. How did you hear about me? Oh, I was on NASCAR and Jeff Gordon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, one of our guys, one of our guys, Marty McLaughlin, is a huge fan of yours, and he was actually the the tip of the spear to get out to, to reach out to you. And uh, he told me about you, and and uh, so I went and bought your book, and I really enjoyed it. So I bought another book, and I'm going to be really open and honest with you. I love the books, but what was most impressive to me, John, 
is what you have done in 10 years and and learning about your story and you have impressed me. And 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 here's what's impressed me about you John. You talk about fear versus faith. You talk about we are alive when we're scared in the, we're being we're living in this this realm where we're push, pushing the edges. And what's really impressed me John about you personally and this is something that I want to uh, emulate a little bit is is for a guy you laugh about this now but for a guy to get on the road and have five people, ten people, Jeff Gordon's people, twenty people—that that's ballsy. I mean, that takes a lot of guts. And so, and then you're ta- now you're working with you know Clemson football team and and uh, all of these huge, huge names out there. I mean, the, the list is is a uh, is um, exhausting. The people that you're working with after only ten years. So, can you walk me through? And I think I think our men really want to get to the heart of this because I believe guy got God has wired men for greatness. You talk about this in your book, uh, and so if I believe that, and we've launched this this movement called the Great Hunt for God and the Man Card Podcast, and I think when you're a nonprofit organization, you're selling a vision, you're selling a, selling a dream, you're you're putting yourself out there to change lives. What I recognize from what you have done is you put yourself out there in a way that I have not yet as far as doing a book tour and doing these things. What, what, what is it about you that caused you to take a, such a great risk? I mean, what is it? Where, where do we as men fall short when it comes to this risk category? Walk me through that. Well, one, if I had to really examine myself, you know, my biological father who left when I was one years old, he's, oh. a, he's, a, he's a psychotherapist and still, uh, Go figure. still in practice. Yeah, we don't have much of a relationship. I, you know, I've forgiven him. You know, my, the New York City cop was my dad. He raised me. But my biological father, again, has that therapist background. So if I was doing some self-analysis, which I don't like to do, it would definitely be in one way I, I did have an ego, right? I felt like there's a part of an ego that says, you know, I want to – say something. I want to have influence. I want to share my thoughts on this. I want to become someone of value. There was a a part of me that did want to get out there. And I believed in myself enough to say, you know what? I should be out there saying something. That's the ego part. Now, ultimately, I believe that in order to be truly great, you have to give up your ego, serve others, serve God, surrender to God, allow him to use you, and then you can become great in him. Mm. So that's something I've had to learn. Like in my book, Training Camp, I talk about this, that you know, God doesn't pick the best. I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. He picks the most willing. Uh. And if you're, if you're willing, he will mold you and shape you to be your best and then bring out the best in others. And that was me. I was not a good speaker. I never wrote before. I wrote, you know, a you know, the books that I wrote. I never wrote a fable. The Energy Bus was the first fable I ever wrote. It's the most popular. So I've really just been willing. And I have a childlike faith. Again, I think there's a part of me in my Jewish background that just has this childlike faith of of belief, of just trusting that somehow, some way, God will provide. You know, and again, I don't know if that's a Jewish background, but I do ultimately, I know, and I know the Jewish walk is a walk of trust with God. Mm-hmm. Will I trust God? So many times they would trust, he would provide, and then they would go back to complaining and not trusting. But yeah. ultimately, when they were, it was amazing that he would bring them back to trust. And my big thing is, you know, God, I will, I will trust you all the time. I will make, I will take a stand for you in my life and my work. There's a lot of 
authors who are business authors, and I, I know they're faithful people, but they still won't take a stand for God in their public life. You know, yeah. my Twitter, my Twitter world, I'm not, I'm not afraid to share my faith because I feel like I need to take a stand for God because I saw how God carried me. I saw how he provided for me. So I think the key is you trust in God enough that you know that you're stepping out knowing that he has a plan and your job is just to be bold and go for it. So for me, it was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going. Like, I'm willing. I'm going. I'm going to go on this tour. My wife was supportive. I do believe you have to have a wife that's supportive. Um, you know you're with the right person when they give you strength. Yep. So my yep. wife was giving me strength, and she was supposed to go for it. Like, go do your work. Go do your mission. So I think it was this combination of I wanted to get out there and share a message and, and felt like I deserved to share, like I, not deserved, I, I was worthy enough to share the message. And I think a lot of times as men, we don't feel worthy. We're, we, we feel like, oh, I, you know, I'm just waiting on God and, you know, I'm waiting for the right sign. And, you know, I don't want to put myself out to do too much because I really, I really want it to be about God, not, not me. And, and so we wind up never taking action. It's like, no, God will use you and something he uses our ego and he used a guy like me, that this Long Island, New York guy that's willing to go out there and, and, and do it to now serve him and do his work, right? So you have to be willing to just step out there and be bold enough to do it. And here's the thing. If you really believe that you're here to make a difference, then you have an obligation to go out there and do it. Because if your intention is right and your heart is right, then you will go out there and do it. And you'll ultimately give the credit where it belongs. And that's why I tell people, I write every book in about three and a half weeks. The longest was the power of positive leadership that took four weeks. And I tell yeah. them that, I don't want them to look at me and go, oh, he's so smart, because I'm not. I want them to understand that I don't have a ghostwriter, I have a holy ghostwriter. And it's important for people to understand who writes these books and where the credit belongs. And I will give all the credit to God because I know that I'm the instrument, I'm the pen, not the author. And so that's the key. So where will you give credit and who you will glorify. And I always say, I don't want to build my kingdom. It, does, it won't last. Trust me, it's not going to last. We all know where our kingdoms aren't going to last. We yeah. want to build God's kingdom, and that's eternal. So no matter what organization I build up along the way, I'm always mindful of that. Do I want 100 employees? Not No, because I don't want to get caught up in building my own organization, whereas I want to build you know, the kingdom more than anything. That's so good. You know, uh, you reminded me of a Maxwell quote. He said, stop asking God to do what he's already asked you to do. Ooh, I, th that's good. I think sometimes we get paralyzed. You know, you talked about fear and, and you talked about pride and, and ego. And I think sometimes our pride actually, I think all the time, our pride hurts us because one of the things, one of the byproducts of pride is what if I fail? What if what if they see me falter? We have a, our pride is a shield that kind of tells people I'm not letting you all the way in. And there's a fear of man behind that. And I, that's, that was the thing I was really intrigued by. You must have, you, I'm a guessing you had to let go of a lot of that to step out in faith because you were putting on yourself on display for the world. And my to wife see. says, yeah, my wife says like, I give you a lot of credit because you were speaking when you weren't good at all. And <laughs> she's like, you were out there just doing it. And I think that's the thing. We feel like we have to be perfect. We feel like we have to have the perfect talk. And so we're not willing to get out there. No, it's like, no, you just have to trust God. And you get out there and go do it. And I, and I think, again, people who say they're people of faith, well, if you're a person of faith, then have faith. 
Yeah. <laughs> if you're a person of faith, then don't allow fear to control you. So here's here's the deal. We got to talk about this for men. So important for men. When I ask men, where do your negative thoughts come from? A lot will say themselves. And I work with a lot of professional athletes and college athletes. And we talk about this. And I said, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you choose to have a negative thought? And they're like, no. I'm like, exactly. You wouldn't choose it. They're not coming from you. Negative thoughts come from the enemy. And once you understand that negative thoughts are coming from the enemy, just because you have a negative thought doesn't mean you have to believe it. Negative thoughts are lies. The enemy is called the father of lies. Yeah. This is why it's a spiritual battle. And once you understand the spiritual battle, you have to believe the lies. Instead, you move forward. I call it armor yourself with the truth. And the truth is what God says about you, not those lies. And so you've got to live that truth, understand that truth, know that truth. And once you know the truth, you'll see the lies for what they are and don't believe them. But what happens is, as men, the lies come in. They happen so fast. The enemy is so good at convincing us that those thoughts are from us that we actually believe them. So it comes in. We start to believe those lies. We reinforce those lies. We even repeat them and say them to others. And then we feel guilty and discouraged and down that we have those thoughts and think that way. And so the enemy knows that he can't beat you himself. So what does he do? He gets you to defeat yourself with discouragement. Mm -hmm. And that's why encouragement is so important. Encouragement from the books you read, encouragement from the Bible. I read a lot of different authors that encourage me. Encouragement from pastors, encouragement from people and supporters. And people even give Joel Osteen a hard time. But, you know, the one thing that, that he does is he encourages all the time. And if you just receive that encouragement from him and it allows you to take on the battle of discouragement, you're more likely going to be successful. So anyway, that's what I think happens. The men, the men, as men, we believe those lies and we allow them to sabotage us. Instead, you just walk forward and, and move forward. I talked to a football player. And he told me some of his greatest kicks. He was a field goal kicker. I read, about, read about him. Yeah. yeah, He felt the least confident. He just said, you know what? I'm just kicking it. I'm just going to go up and kick it as hard as I could. He's like, I opened my eyes and saw it go through the goalpost. You know, I just went for it. My son's a college punter. So uh, okay. so I, I resonated with that story that you told towards the end of the book. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you talk about this. And I didn't expect us to go this way, but I really appreciate you preaching to the preacher here. You know, you, you said something that was really good, man. You described, I spoke at a church last weekend, and I talked about why don't we ask the most important question, which is, can I pray for you? Why do we fail to do that? And I think because a lot of times, I think men in particular, we're nothing more than functional atheists. I mean, we say we believe, but we don't, you know, and you modeled this. So I watched one of your TED Talks. I, or oh, have yeah. you done more? Have you done more than one, or just no, one? No, that is the ten, the TEDx talk I did. Yes, in uh, in Ohio. Okay, that was cracking me up because you didn't know you were even giving it until two hours before. And what was really impressive to me, John, is I've listened to a lot of those talks, and I've listened to a lot of great communicators give a canned, well planned, well thought out message. And yours, I, I'm only guessing you were winging it and flinging it, but it was so impressive to hear your heart. And you, you live the message, so to give it in 15 minutes was a no-brainer for you, and it was one of the best TED Talks I'd ever heard. And it, and I, from what you had said in your intro, you wing, you were winging it. I was. I, I appreciate that. I actually didn't think it was one of my best talks because I, I was winging it, and I wasn't usually my energetic self because I was, I was so tired. I had slept four hours. Yeah. I just spoke to the, to the 49ers. Uh, Chip Kelly was the coach. They didn't do well that year. I obviously didn't give a good enough talk to the team. <laughs> and 
I now am flying to Ohio to give this talk, the, you know, the day the day after that. And I get there and they said, hey, um, would you like to give this TED talk? One of our people just canceled. And the woman and the guy who picked me up, they were wearing TEDx shirts. They're like, I've never given a TED talk. They said, well, we'd love for you to do it. I'm like, really? I'm like, nah, I'm just, I'm too exhausted and just want to go to the hotel. And we're driving to the hotel and God just kept on saying, you got to do this. You got to do this. I mean, you don't hear the audible words. Yeah, but just totally. That and the impulse. And I, I, I realized that if I don't do it, then I'm a fraud. If I don't Whoa. do it, then hmm. I'm not living hmm. my vision, my vision and mission to inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. And God was like, hey, remember when you went on that tour years ago when you weren't successful and you went from city to city and you spoke anywhere and everywhere? Well, now that you've sold all these books and you're doing all these talks and getting paid all this money, are you still going to do this or have you become a fraud? Or are you going to do this work? And I realized, you know what, there's going to be people there that may want to hear it. So then I said, how many people are going to be in the audience? 450. I'm like, how can I not do it? And so I went <laughs> and gave that talk. That was outstanding. Well, you know, as I'm reading your stuff, uh, you're talking about positive leadership. The guys that we're working with are, we call them our men in the arena. They're 25 to 45, 50. They, they've got kids in the home. They're trying to love their wife, work hard. They're on their way to work, listening to our podcast, uh, you know, through their through their car. And so I was translating everything through the, to the eyes of those guys who may or may not be leaders, but they're leaders in their home. And so uh, you had a, a, I got a couple questions here that I just want to run through because I, I think this is so good. You know, in Rule 5 of your 10 in the Energy Bus, you talk about um, don't waste your energy on those who don't get on your bus. So I'm thinking about this as a parent. And then, uh, and so uh, in the power of positive leadership, you also uh, spoke about this, and I kept referring to my family. And so, how do how do we as men create a positive culture within our family environment? If we have now, my kids are out of the house now, but if we have a, a, a energy vampire, maybe some guys may be thinking it's their wife. Uh, maybe they have a, a child. Um, how do you create the positive culture in the midst of these these negative circumstances? Well, I love the guy who emailed me and said, hey, John, my wife's the energy vampire. <laughs> Kicking her off the bus is not an option. Exactly. I, exactly. I said, Good. Don't ever kick your wife off the energy bus, no matter what you do. But, you know, work with her, work with your kids. Well, that's positive leadership right there. You have to lead your team and you have to encourage them and help them to see the truth, to help them deal with their own negativity, their own adversity. You have to be a leader who really gets, you know, in the nitty gritty with them and help lead them. The best advice, you know, some of the best, best advice I received was from Dan Britton, you know, who I wrote one word with, and he said, have a family meeting. So we started with a family meeting every week. And every Sunday, we would have a family meeting around the table, and we would talk about our mission statement, our family culture, the challenges we were experiencing, and how we can overcome them. So that family meeting, I think, is a great way that you at home lead your family, sit there. We would, uh, I would read uh, a Bible verse, uh, scripture. I would, uh, or out of a devotional, I read a devotional. We would talk about it. I sometimes would show something inspirational because my kids don't find a lot of inspiration from me, right? They don't really love <laughs> my talks. You know, like, yeah, whatever, Dad. Hey, you do so, the laundry, though. 
Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, they can't, you know, they're like, all right, whatever, dad. So I find outside voices that I that pour into them. And that would be part of our family meeting. Just like you'd have a company meeting, a, a, a leadership team meeting. You have to do that in your home to communicate, to connect, get everyone on the same page, focus on the vision, the mission, the culture of your family. So I want to stop you there because you said something so profound. I need to have our guys get it. I'm finishing up a book, John, called The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating the Men from the Boys. And and the and the last section of that is on spiritual leadership. And what I tell guys is do something, anything, just lead. Because a lot of guys, they want to do something. But if I tell the guys what I do or you tell the guys what you do, it could be overwhelming to some of these young guys that feel like they don't have that capacity. Whoa, I spit that one out that capacity or the leadership to pull it off. So you would tell these young guys in the arena, these guys maybe in their 30s or 40s even, have a family meeting. Yep. And, yeah. and start with your family to start building your culture. I'm actually going to write a book on this and provide a framework for how this works because I get asked all the time. And I think I need to. I got a couple other books that I'm writing. First, I'm writing The Power of a Positive Team right now. I'm actually going to share the family meeting idea in that book, but I'm going to write a specific book just on, you know, raising a family and my wife and I, what we did and how we worked through a lot of the challenges and the, and the struggles. I'll tell you what, man, I tell people that, uh, my wife, it was so bad early on in our marriage, I actually prayed to God that he would take her out. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's bad when you're saying, God, I'll live like this, but if you just take her out, that'll be a lot better. That's a pretty good prayer from a pastor. So, yeah, just yeah. My like, wife, my my wife's prayer was that God would take me out early on. <laughs> hey, well, I'll write the book with you, and we'll just call it Two Italians on Marriage." <laughs> right, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's too funny, man. So, so uh, I, I, yeah, that's tough when you're dealing with a negativity within your own environment. And I know for me, uh, if I I feel like I've been a good parent, I've been a good husband. I've got uh, pretty good kids. They're all going to graduate college and uh, get their degrees. But if there is any criticism I have of myself, it would be this. I created a culture of criticism and a critical spirit of myself, my kids, my wife, and others within my home. And so I know a lot of us, and you mentioned uh, your your uh, biological father, a lot of us have uh, been, as John Eldridge would say, uh, wounded. A lot of that is through a father wound. So how do we as adults... <clears throat> and parents of those who are out of the house, how do we create a new culture after they've left our nuclear culture? What would you recommend there? I think you bring them together and you, you talk about it. And even the other day, I texted my daughter the other day. I said, you know, you know, Jade, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I wish I was a better father when you were growing up. Like I, I became a great father, but I wasn't, Early on, those early years before I became a person of faith, I was not a great father. I wasn't abusive, but I definitely was not encouraging. I definitely would erupt. I believe I I yelled too much. You know, Mr. Positive yelling, right? So, <laughs> I, I you know I wasn't Mr. Positive yet, I guess. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, and so, you know, again, I just and she said, you know, you know, it's okay, Daddy. You, I turned out great. I'm like, no, no, it's it's not okay. You know, I just, you know, these are the things that I think about now. And so you talk about it openly. You talk about, my son is 17 in high school. We talk about it. He has seen my change. We're, you know, transformation. 
we're open about it and it's great to talk about. So you bring them together. Don't do it on a holiday. Don't do it on Thanksgiving or Christmas. You know, do it <laughs> another time. Take them away. You know, go on a go on a retreat. Seriously, a family retreat. Go on a family trip. Go to a lake. Go somewhere and just bring them together. And even having a family meeting and say, "Hey guys, I really want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about who I was. I want to talk to you about what I've learned. What's my vision now? Where am I going? Where do I hope we can go as a family?" Let's talk about it. anyone want to say something and, you know, that's been bothering you and just bring it out in the open. And you know what? Once you uncover it, God will cover with his grace. That is so good, John. Once you uncover it, God will, God cover, will it. cover with his grace. What you cover, God will uncover with his law. So, <laughs> with, so yeah. let's just let's uncover it so that we can heal it. Like God wants things to be brought to the light. So that it could be healed, and the more you bring it to the light, the better off we're all going to be. Well, and and, you, and it might be painful, and you might have to admit to things that you did wrong. You might have to really bring out the open, and then you hope that there's forgiveness and, and healing. But either way, you have to bring it to the light. So, <clears throat> don't let that elephant stay in the room. No, because it's going to hold you back. It's it's going to sabotage. Well, and I think that's a good, really good, and powerful point, John, because. A lot of the wounds that we see in adults are wounds that could have been healed if they were acknowledged and spoken about. And and us as men and parents acknowledging that this is an issue. You know, Here's the thing. You need to know the enemy will always attack you in the place of your wounds. Ooh. So, so the enemy will always attack you in the place of your wounds. So we all have this wound that needs to be healed. The enemy will attack you in the place of that wound and try to infect it. But what does God want to do? God wants to heal you in the place of your wound. Well, and, and that's yeah. when I became a follower of Jesus because I realized, okay, everyone has a wound. We're all walking around with wounds. How do you heal the wounds? Well, meditation doesn't work. Chanting doesn't work. Energy healing and using chakras don't work. But, oh, Jesus came to heal our wounds. He came to heal it so he could become a new creation. And it makes so much sense. So once you realize the wound is there, God is here to heal the wound, and now you can work towards healing it, well, then the enemy can't infect it anymore. So it's really important to understand that is what's going on with every wound. And then once you heal it, right, then you can grow to be all that you're meant to be. On a practical term, not spiritual term, I talk about constraint theory by flip flipping. Constraint theory says you'll never rise above the level of your constraint. So we all have constraints as, as men. We have to we have to remove that constraint so that we can grow. Otherwise, you will never you will never move past your constraint. And then you can see how successful leaders, you can see how all the sexual harassment things that are going on, you can see the people lose their integrity in business, their constraint that kept them from growing eventually becomes their sabotager and then winds up ruining and destroying them. So understand what your constraint is. Constraint is always tied to a wound. Wounds need to be healed, heal the constraint, heal the wound, grow, and then become all that God created you to be. And that's how you achieve greatness. Wow. You know, Maxwell talked about this in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, the law of the lid. So what you're saying is there is this constraint or this lid that we will never go past unless we deal with the stuff that is keeping us from exploding. Exactly. But did Maxwell talk about it like we just did? No, yours was better. 
<laughs> no, I was just it just brought up that thought to me. I'm well, just kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was funny. Well, but, you know, you know what's so, funny though? What's funny is that I don't know, I, you shouldn't get two Italians in a room because the podcast goes way over like we already are. But well, what, real, real quick on the lid on the lid. Yes, I yes. Even, I have not read Maxwell's twenty one irrefutable laws of leadership. I I'm, you know, I apologize, I haven't read it. No, that's okay. But yeah, it, it's obviously a key part of that constraint. Well, I think that's really good and and, and I love what you're saying about leadership and, and, and bringing our kids around us and, and talking through these issues, not letting the elephant in the room, not, not uh, that we as men release our children to become unconstrained uh, adults. Now, in the latter part of your book, The po- Power of Positive Leadership, which I really resonated with, John, you talked about connection, being connected as a leader. And I think that you can translate that over as well, that as a parent, if you are disconnected, and the issue that we see a lot of our men is that they're working hard, man. They're out there getting it done. You know, like you're, you know, like for you, you're speaking around the all over the world, doing your thing. What would you say to these guys about connection with their kids? Because that really happens after work, right? And it happens yeah, on the, the most weekends. Important thing. When yeah, you come home. You have to be connected. I was writing a book. My son came in. Dad, you want to play ping pong? No, I'm too busy. Comes in again. Dad, you want to play ping pong? No, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm writing a book about engaged relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a true story. I felt really convicted at that time. Like, wow, I'm not making time for the most important relationship of all. And then before I wrote The Carpenter, I had to serve a year at home for my family. They were really struggling. My kids were struggling. So I stopped traveling. I only did three events a month instead of 15. And I spent more time at home. Hardest year of my life. But I got to tell you, at the end of that year, my team was so much better, so much stronger. Yeah. I was so much more connected to my kids and my daughter and my wife you know, saved our, you know, our time together. And again, she appreciated that so much. And they all needed me. At, in the beginning of the year, I wanted a different team. I thought there was something wrong with them. At the end of the year, I realized I needed to become a better leader. So connection and commitment were a big part of that. Could have never wrote The Carpenter if I didn't have that experience first. And then I write about this a lot, and you win in the locker room first, which is the seven C's to build a winning team and also the power of positive leadership. But but you will never have commitment without connection. So your kids will never be committed to you fully without a connection with them. And it's like that with God, too. You'll never be truly committed to God if you don't have that connection. Gosh, that and is so, so good. Connection is what leads to commitment. I think about Dave Roberts at the Dodgers. I mean, I'm with Dave Roberts in his office before the postseason. And in walks one of his players. He gets up and gives the guy a big old hug, like a giant bear hug for like five seconds. The guy, you know, after they smile and talk, he leaves. I go, Dave, that's amazing. Tell me about that. He goes, he comes in every day for a hug. I give him a hug. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I pour into him. Dave does that with all his team. Maybe not a hug with everyone, but he connects with them. And it's why the Dodgers went to the World Series. Astros, same way, a very connected team. Every team I've worked with, the more connected they are, the stronger they are. Starts at home as well. Man, that is so good. And you talked about in the carpenter, uh, what was it love, care, and serve? Love, serve, care. Love, serve, and care. And then I remind of a quote that said, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's our yep. kids, right? They don't care that you're flying all around the world. They want dad at home. That's why, again, it doesn't matter what books I've written, who I just spoke to. What matters is, am I involved in their life? Am I connecting to them? You know what's cool? The other day I asked my daughter if she, um, you know, if I was gone too much. And she said, I don't remember you gone a lot. I remember you being home a lot. 
which is wild because I gave about 80 talks a year. And yet she remembers me being home. You know why? And this is a great message for guys out there. When I was home, I was really engaged with my family. Wow, that's good, man. That is good. Yeah. Hey, we're we're over time here, and I know that you're a busy man. I want you to do me a favor, though. Uh, you asked me who the contact was to get you on our podcast. Will you give a shout-out to Marty McLaughlin at Great Northwest Insurance Brokers? Hey, Marty, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It's great being on with, on with these guys, and thanks for making it happen. I'm glad I did it. I hey. have a quick question. Go ahead. So what I heard from you there is um, if Jim and Pat and I, you know, when I come in the office. No I'm hugging like, no, longer than no, three no. seconds. If Jim were to hug more, our, our, our organization would be more successful. Definitely. Come on. Definitely. Give, give a man hug, a man <laughs> hug. And yeah. you know, yo, like a big old yo, yo, get over here. Get okay, but hey, yeah. hey, come on now, John. <laughs> Less yeah. than three seconds, Don't right? Be scared. Don't be scared of a man hug. That's I'm not right. afraid of one. I'm afraid of one where he's feeling my lower back. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a bad oh, back. Oh, listen to him. Hey, well, we're not gonna go there today. <laughs> I've got a chiropractor to pop my back. I don't need you to rub it. <laughs> hey, John, thanks so much, man, for uh, taking the time to be with us. Uh, really enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading The Carpenter and uh, many others of your books. Uh, our listeners can go and get a hold of those books at johngordon.com. That's John without the H. And so, uh, man, you men in the arena, get a hold of this guy's stuff. Uh, really, really great stuff on attitude and positivity. And so, man, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast, helping us transform the lives of men as easy as one, two, three. Number one. Leave a review. Listen number, to the podcast and <laughs> share that, it with your friends. I just said for number one, dude. I don't even think you I did all order. three. There you go. Listen to our podcast. Yeah. Share it with your friends. Write a positive review. Guys, give us your input. Let us know what you think and how we can partner with you to help you become the best version of the man you've been created to be. So, guys, until next week, get in the arena, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.